collaboration, user ID, and OPOG. That's what we're talking about today on Sounds Probable with me, Brian Barletta. I know that you're listening to Sounds Profitable because podcast ad tech is important to you, but it's important to me that you are kept up to date on the latest news from the entire podcast industry. To help with that, here's what happened last week, no matter when you're listening, from James Cridlin at Pod News. The podcasting community works best when it comes together. The Open Podcast Analytics Working Group, or OPOG, is an incredible example of that. I have an in-depth article on the topic, which I'll link in the episode details. You should read that to have a fuller understanding of what OPOG is doing. And to help me get to the bottom of the community collaboration, I spoke to the creator of OPOG, Mark Stedman of Podium. Here's what he had to say. Hey, Mark. Thanks for joining me today on the Sounds Profitable podcast. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. And so today we're going to dig in deeper into the article I wrote about the Open Podcast Analytics Work Group. I thought that was a really interesting place to start when I started with Sounds Profitable because I really like the idea of another organization out there that was looking to help everybody gather information together and potentially have alternatives to just the IAB solution out there. So I figure it's a it's probably a great idea for us to start off with asking you to, you know, explain OPOG and what inspired you to start it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So it is, it's a lofty organization with a terrible name. It was, I think I was always hoping it was going to be a placeholder, but it's what we're going with uh, for now. So back in uh, May, 2019. So last year I was, uh, as we're recording anyway, I was looking around at some of my analytics data for the podcast hosting company that I run. And one of the questions that sometimes gets asked is about how customers can move data from one provider into Podient, for example. And I thought it'd be really interesting to see what can be done about ways that we can standardize the tracking information that we have about each episode, how many times it's been downloaded and roughly by whom. And I started thinking more about things like the IAB and being a programmer by um, by nature, I guess, I, I, I thought that the kinds of problems that the IAB are tackling for podcasters in so much as they are calculating, like, what can, what do we consider to be a download of a, uh, a podcast episode? That felt to be something that we could tackle in an automated basis in a way that could be easily replicated and easily run, easily automated, as I say, that didn't necessarily need a huge amount of people cost. And, you know, it'd be time to set up initially, but then the the idea would be that it was something that that you would be able to run in the same way that we now have things like Let's Encrypt for handling SSL certificates uh, so that you now you don't have to pay multiple hundreds of dollars to get an S, uh, SSL certificate for your website. You can get one for free by using this system. Yeah, I, I think that that's great. And that's uh, like one thing that I want to just kind of break down there is that the IAB, you know, has a fee per year, depending on the size of your company, I look to join as an independent, and I can get in like the first two years of startup rates at $5,000. 
that $5,000 fee doesn't do anything if I wanted to get certified. It's then an additional cost. And that cost is split two ways. One is a payment to the IAB and the other is a payment to a certification company like a like an auditing company that comes in and confirms that you adhered to the IAB standards by doing like a tech audit and reviewing all your data. And so, you know, James Cridlin of Pod News has his own self-hosted podcast and that's awesome. It could cost him forty to sixty thousand dollars easily for him for one year to be certified with the IAB. Alternatively, he could kick the numbers over the CDN data over to like Triton and be validated there. But you know, that's a couple grand a month too. And at the end of the day, like that's still it's not that far off from what the IAB charges. So what you're talking about here is instead of something that each individual host would get audited, instead we have like a central piece of tech that is audited, that's maintained and, and probably third-party verified, that is able to allow hosting companies and other platforms to call in, do a self-certification. And it focuses on that central point, right? Instead of like the deep dive required for each individual partner. Absolutely. And I think the the thing to, to tack on to Mr. Cridland's example is he could use something like Chartable, which I guess is now IAB certified. He could use that but as someone who writes about for example listener privacy there are questions around that that you would imagine there would be with any of these third-party analytics services you know there's a reason they make that infrastructure available for for people like us to use especially uh, for people to use for free and so without getting into the weeds on, on on that particular discussion that might be a reason not to put words in james's mouth but that might be one of several reasons why he yeah. might not want to use a third party service, you know, because that's something that, that he does write about. Yeah, yeah. Privacy is a real big deal on that end. And when you can focus on the fact that you own the data, and you're certifying it with like an automated third party or with the IAB, there's less connection there, right? It's certifying the integrity of how the data is tracked and stored. And then anything like Chartable or Triton, there, you know, there are data processing agreements, there are things to make sure that the privacy is well handled. But, you know, there are still privacy concerns that people have about passing data. And when you're using those partners, you absolutely are passing that data. I don't think anybody should generally be concerned about it, based, uh, especially if you read the contracts associated with it. But it is still one more point of failure, one more instance where someone else gets It is. Data. And you can't, as a podcast listener, you don't get to consent to that. Um, that's that's yeah, the issue. That's, yeah, that's a yeah. real big thing. Yeah, that's something that me and you are trying to work on uh, with a privacy framework added added into this as well. I think that that's going to be a big push. I think we're going to see a lot more of that in 2021 because podcasting just gets this information and we don't know what the user wanted to do with it. So I'm I'm excited to see how that changes. And I think that we're, you know, we're not going to get less information in podcasting. I think we're probably going to get told we can't use it for certain things like advertising and attribution. But I, I really think that because of how that's set up with how the players like Spotify or Apple or Google have to ask for that consent and then pass that info on to us, they're incentivized to keep everybody opted in. So they're going to do as much as they can to keep people opted in to send us that data because we lose 100% of our data, but that data we get is only 10% of what, what's really valuable to them. I mean, yeah, you talk in terms of loss, but I think it's one of the things that I think it's important to recognize is people have got increasingly sort of opinionated about the amount of data that is being not available 
um, that is not available to podcast advertisers as if that's something that has been taken away from them or they had a right to in the first place. We've got to remember that podcasting has existed for the last 14, 15 years where that information wasn't available and podcasters have done really very well out of it. There isn't this, we need to get out of this idea that there is this problem in podcasting that needs to be solved. There really isn't. There, There isn't. There are companies that want more information that seem to believe they have a right to it. And that's where I start to get a bit antsy is this idea that we, you know, we you've got a right to know my gender and my location and and this, that, and the other, because why, you know, like you don't, and we've been fine without it for a long time. I super agree with you. I mean, based on the length that podcasting has existed, it's, it predates mobile ad ID. It predates the, the excessive use of cookies that we're seeing right now. I, more than anything, I'm focusing just on IP. I personally don't Mm -hmm. think that we're ever going to get that additional data in podcasting. And I don't Mm -hmm. think we need it because I think that it's it's a short-sighted view to try and match us up directly to other digital advertising channels. And all that means is opening the gates. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I was explaining to someone earlier today about how I just recently watched the movie Up and there's a scene in it where the old man's house is by itself and the entire area around it is bulldozed because they're trying Mm -hmm. to build. And that's what the bigger advertising space is looking to do when they're saying, oh, we need more data from podcasting. Because once they have something like that, like mobile device IDs or cookies, they can steamroll into podcasting. It can be the same exact thing. You can buy Mm -hmm. it the same exact way. I don't think we're ever going to get exactly there. And I think that the push for that is going to get creative because I think we're going to see a dive back into contextual targeting, Mm -hmm. which I think is going to be really exciting. Yeah, I mean, I I I think... We have a similar enthusiasm, I think, for the possibility and the technology of what we can do here. But I think we are coming at it from different perspectives. And obviously, you know, you you run an ad tech newsletter. That is very much your thing. And I, I don't disagree with that. And I don't I don't have a problem with that. But that's just not what is that's not why I founded, you know, uh, Oporg. That's not why I want to come up with the standard. I want to do it so that independent podcasters can keep track of their of their downloads. Now, obviously, we we are going to get to a point where certain a certain tier of independent podcaster they're going to look to monetize and having numbers that they can stand by, having numbers that are sort of ratified and certified makes a lot of sense. And that is that is something that I'm definitely sort of here for and in for. And that's one of the reasons I want to do this is so that we can organizations like mine without paying multiple tens of thousands of dollars a year can stand by these numbers and say, yeah, they, these like these are legit. And you can actually see how, you know, how these numbers you can see our work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you, you just hit on a great point there. I mean, like my background and what I'm doing and even the IAB, for example, is dollars in mm-hmm. and then down. And so we can look at that top level and, and I'm guilty of it. I'll fully admit it that I only look at the ad space mm-hmm. because sure. that's what I write about. That's my job. But you're super right. IAB is prohibitive to people like yourself, to companies like yourself, or independent podcasters, and it's not meant with them in mind. And that's really kind of <laughs> gross uh, when you think about it, because the podcasting space was like a rebellion against radio and and all these other mediums. And it was a way to independently share your voice and get exposure and get out there. And so the idea that like base measurement is gated between a forty to $60,000 a year payment for either your hosting provider or, you know, yourself, if you want to go at it alone, which is really cool. Everybody who self self hosts, I'm super impressed by their ability and dedication to do that. But yeah, I, I really think that the space is better because of people like you who are working really hard to say, 
hey, certification's very important, not just for the million dollar companies that are making, you know, a killing or multi-million dollar companies that are making a killing in the space, but also for every single person, because anyone any day could become one of those, or they might want to be able to just even be considered in place with one of those when they're talking about their reach. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there are examples of podcasts that for whatever reason might not be able to be part of a particular hosting platform. Uh, and I'm not necessarily just talking about the sort of the, the Joe's Rogan. I'm thinking about I've had contact with people who have been hounded from one hosting company to another where they've had to to leapfrog from one provider to another because each provider kept getting legal takedown notices because the another party was upset with the things that were being said. And that ends up getting litigated with the hosting provider and the hosting provider has to go, listen, I, like, I can't do anything about this. You're going to have to sort of, you know, find another place. And so for someone to be able to independently host and also to to be able to, if they've got an important message, they've got a message that they, they want to spread to people and they want to know how many people are getting that message, then having a system in place that it doesn't, that it isn't going to take too much for them to buy into, um, I think could be could be really useful. Maybe, you know, an, an odd example, but I think the the independent podcasting story is something that we still need to remind ourselves of as much as, we talk about the latest acquisitions of, of different hosting companies and you know we're, we're all so many of us are building our own solutions there are still plenty of people who are on castos you know using um, just built-in wordpress or or using castos hosting or, or building their own things like like james you know there, there are lots of people who have independent infrastructure that should be able to take advantage of of everything that the industry can provide and everything that the open ecosystem uh, system of, of podcasting uh, enables yeah, that's, I super that's the end agree. of my TED talk. <laughs> no, no, I, I super agree with it. And that's and that's neat. And so we'll round it back up to OPOG and the goals mm. there. I mean, so, you know, a lot of the press and, and, and a lot of the press and a lot of the attention that you've received about it has been about specifically the grouping of user agents, mm-hmm. right? Because that's so difficult for people to get, right? So the Spotify user agent doesn't show up in a general user agent pool. Like there are companies out there that aggregate user agents and you can buy access to those. And they're really cool when you're talking about web browsers and devices and things like that. But in the app, I could create an app and mash my keyboard and that's my user agent. And some of the ones we've seen aren't too far off from that or they use default values. And so, you know, OPOG, a lot of the attention it's gotten has been around the idea of taking that information that each hosting provider learns about a user agent or getting the app developers to come in and say, this is my user agent and categorizing it. And that's really useful. That's where a lot of people have bought in. Um, but your goals, like we talked about here, are to create an IAB comparable system for certification, for uh, self-identification of your inventory, not only to compare for potential ad sales, but also to enable someone, like you said, to transfer from one to the other, right? One platform to the other. Because for those of you who haven't been on the back end of this, when you share data between hosting pl- providers, it's not only like if you think of it in an Excel spreadsheet format, right? And, and or just like a like a table of columns. It's not only that like the column names aren't the same, it's that the number of columns and what they send over is drastically different, whether it's aggregated data or CDN, so the initial data that you get. And so that means that when you with this example you said where someone moved from host to host to host with takedown notices, by the time they get to the last place and they're finally ready to set up shot, 
they might be looking at a fraction of the numbers reported in the platform because of just loss from moving from place to place. They might even at one point, one partner might've simply said they couldn't transfer from one host to another. So that's a long-winded way of saying that we started right with OPOG getting a lot of attention for this user agent thing. Your goals are to bring it into the certification and make it easy for transferring between hosts and the similarities in data. What's next? What's past that? I know we're we're not like really super deep into either of those or any of those yet, but like what's your what's your end goal? Well, I think I think it's it's two parts. So the the what you've mentioned there is sort of two uh, initiatives really. So the first is getting what we in the tech sphere might call a test harness, uh, which is what I've been working on at the moment, which will allow uh, anyone effectively to run a command in their terminal to get a bunch of mp3s that they may be importing to their own system and then we throw a bunch of download requests at those mp3s and then we keep the number of the different user agents that we've sent and the um, amount of data that we've requested uh, so we keep that and then we ask the hosting company for example to reply back to us to say well we think we got three three requests for this file, four requests for this one. This one only downloaded a minute of audio. This one downloaded the whole thing. And then we match that up with what we think uh, or what, what we created as our little script and say, if these numbers match up, then you're good. You're ratified. You get a green badge. So that's sort of step one. And then from that, it's, it's then about getting that adoption, getting that buy-in from, uh, I think, hosting companies that are in a, a similar tier to mine. And, you know, we know those and there's plenty of people and, the lovely thing is most of them are already in the Opal group. So it's it's really now just a matter of of saying, like, who wants to play with this? And we've seen, I think, from the podcast index, there's real enthusiasm for people to adopt stuff, especially the the lads over at Buzzsprout who are, who are really keen. So um, I'm excited about that. And I, so I think that is the the mid to, to sort of near to mid future. And then the the other thing is this interoperability of data and i think that that is a separate a separate issue because once you've decided that you've received a download how you store that internally is is your own business you know um each hosting company will have its own database structure and all the, all the rest of it uh, uh they will use whatever's right for their infrastructure and so what we want at the end is if a customer has has finished the end of their journey with one provider and they they want to move to another or they just want maybe to package up all of their numbers you know or they want to put their podcast on hiatus they're closing down the account for now but maybe they'll bring it up again in six months time and it would be great if they could preserve those numbers it's about freezing that information in a manner that can then be sort of unfrozen again and that is very much the next step after that and i think that's probably a harder journey than getting the the first one in um because the, the first one there's a very clear benefit to hosting companies to not necessarily have to adopt the IAB or to adopt our standard as well. Whereas I think the other one, we are really enabling, we're making competition a little bit, you know, mushier between providers. And so that one might be a little bit more hands across the ocean and a little bit come by our. So <laughs> how many people want to get involved in that? We'll see, but that's the, that's the bright rosy future. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's so funny. Like I, as I'm dealing on the ad tech side, there's a lot more secret sauce mm. and there's a lot of people, even mm-hmm. on the hosting providers who are, very like, oh, what I do is very unique and it's very special and we can't share it. Like, guys, we do podcast hosting. Like, it's very cool how everybody displays it and what the UI looks like. We'll do the same, with the same Yeah, we're dealing with the same requests, the same set of data. Yeah, you can adopt new things from Podcast Index for like the RSS 
the namespace that they're adding to, which is super cool to pass and receive more information. But it's all the same thing. It's just different presentations of the same thing. So the idea of of like, I agree with you, it's going to be tough to sell like, hey, put development time towards this thing that really only benefits when people leave your platform. <laughs> oh, but, for those but that, that it also in. helps when they come yeah, in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think that I think you got a neat way of packaging it. And I think that the truth is, is when we get to the point, uh, which which thank you for including me in all this, I'm very excited to be a part of it. I think that when we get to a point where where we're pushing the certification and making it easy for people to do that, maybe the format of data comparison matches what you're ideally wanting people to match for an output or input. So that could be really neat there. We did mention the podcast index. So I figured we'd go into it a little bit. Like, I'll fully admit a lot of what they're doing in there because truth be told, you know, I'm not great at GitHub and trying to read it like it's an internet forum is not my strong suit. Like, I, you know, and, and also props on Adam Curry for being big onto Mastodon, but I cannot get on another social media <laughs> right now. What are the, like the major differences yep. between Podcast Index and OPOG or rather let's instead of that, because I'm sure they're big. What is the overlap? Like, are there areas where you, we should be collaborating with them? I think we should be aware of each other. And, I, you know, I, I've got my API keys with uh, with pod, uh, Podcast Index and my company, Podium. You know, we, we implement, I think, pretty much everything that's been ratified so far. But in terms of, I think our objectives are similar, but there's I don't actually think there's any overlap because really what they're doing is handling just the RSS side. So the the actual XML feed, this open standard that says, this is my podcast. This is how many episodes exist. Here's the latest one. These are the dates and these are the MP3 URLs and all that stuff. We don't really, as as Opal, we're not getting into that side of things. It really is about the delivery of the MP3, which is sort of precisely what the podcast index is not getting into. And so I think there's probably or possibly spaces for collaboration, but not necessarily any overlap and i don't think there's you know sort of any competition or anything like that they're they're really about laying out information for podcasters and i think yeah we're, we're more sort of focused on the on the yeah. providers so if you like. okay so two things to wrap up the first one is if somebody wants to participate in this what's the best way for them to to join in with opog it will be to go to opawg.org and so from there I will make sure that there is contact information available. We have a Slack group, and that's where most of the discussion has happened so far. I'm happy for people to email me, but I don't want people to feel like this is, uh, you know, purely a, a podient joint, and that they, you know, they're going to get opted into some sort of mailing list or whatever. So, start at uh, opawg.org. What I can say to echo that before we go to the last question is, uh, you know, myself and I, Evo Terra have been working really hand in hand with you to try and build this into a bigger committee because that's the truth mm -hmm. of it. Like Mark's been working on this for a long time, but everything in the space, like NPR's rad and, and all these other things that have fingerprints of one partner on it too much seem mm -hmm. to be so off-putting to everybody in the space. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to make this into a committee. Our goal is to make it a nonprofit and we're going to figure out how to add more people to the committee, the roles and responsibilities, how people get on and off the committee. But the last thing that I really want to touch on, we talked about the pricing for IAB, right? It can be forty to $60,000 a year. What's your goal with pricing for this? We need to make back our running costs and that's it. That, that's, that's it. So I'd like people's time to be paid for. 
and any infrastructure running costs. But other than that, you know, any any profit that might be made would be put back into investing into this system, whether that's creating the next version of of the spec, because that's one of the things we haven't talked about really is is we will be publishing a spec for what constitutes a download so that developers know what to code against. And so any sort of money that comes in, I, I would like to to open the conversation you know, to, to hosting providers who maybe want to sort of contribute, as Adam Curry would call it, their time, talent or treasure. But it's, it, it, essentially, I think this is, I want to make this as affordable as possible. And when I when I say that, I mean, like actually affordable, not Silicon Valley affordable. Like I actually want a an average podcaster who's maybe just about making back their hosting fees. I want them to feel like they can afford this and it's useful and valuable to them. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's one of the things that attracted me to most about this. We're not here to pay salaries off of this. We're here to grow something for the space to make it open source uh, with how you code against it, how you get certified and and then provide a central place where people can go get certified and see who is certified. So yeah, Mike, this was really great. Thank you so much. I'm positive that I'll have you back on as we do more articles about this stuff and we build this out more. But I'm going to put you on the spot. My favorite thing to do and probably the least clever thing to do on a podcast is to ask you, what is the what is your favorite podcast right now? It's on hiatus right now, but uh, the one that always gives me immense joy when I listen to it is uh, Mission to Zix, which is a an improvised sci-fi comedy podcast. And don't be put off by that. It's much better than it sounds. It's really good. I'll have to check it out. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. It's been a, a great pleasure. And stick around for some special bonus content at the end of the episode. I've teamed up with Terra to give you a minute-long strategic thought that is guaranteed to shift your perspective on the present and future of podcasting as we all work to make podcasting better. Thanks for listening to Sounds Profitable on your favorite podcast app. I appreciate you checking out my latest episode and hope you'll consider subscribing. Thanks to Mark Stedman for coming to help band on my article, bringing podcasting together one user agent at a time. If you like what you heard and want to connect, you can find me, Brian Barletta, on LinkedIn, way less formally on Twitter as High5RPG. And of course, you can email me, brian at soundsprofitable.com. The Sounds Profitable podcast and all cool ad tech bells and whistles you've experienced were thanks to our host and sponsor, Wushka. Everything you've heard since the conversation ended was uniquely created to target you using their dynamic ad insertion features. If any of the callouts were wrong, let us know. Depending on how you're listening, there were over 10 opportunities to hear dynamically inserted content and ads in this episode. While we continue to tweak and innovate our setup, some of the breaks may be more noticeable than others. Thank you for bearing with us and please send over your feedback. The Sounds Profitable podcast would not be possible without the help and support of Evo Terra, James Cridlin, Ian Powell, and Sam Mars. Thank you all for your help and support. <laughs>